All right, all right. Hey, welcome back to Getting Real with Jason Lopez. I'm your host, Jason Lopez. I hope you're having a great week so far. If you are in and around Southern California, then you are most definitely enjoying the weather. I know that many parts of the country have been struggling and dealing with lots of crazy weather conditions. And to all my friends and colleagues, especially in Texas, we have been thinking about you. We hope you are safe and uh, digging out and uh, dealing with whatever it is you had to deal with and getting cleaned up and back to uh, whatever level of pandemic normalcy you have been able to muster over the last year. Uh, hopefully we're getting closer to the end of this with uh, vaccines happening. Uh, while we may be in short supply in some areas, I think that uh, it's good that this is happening. I know my mom and my in-laws and uh, some of their friends and some of our friends that are in that over 65 bracket <clears throat> have been very happy to have gotten at least their first dose of the vaccine. One step closer to eating out, hugging your friends and family members, uh, hopefully going to some baseball games this spring. I'm thinking about a road trip to Arizona for some Padres spring training in the RV in a few weeks for my birthday. So hopefully that'll happen. All right. Let's discuss some things happening in the world of real estate, which is my world, obviously. There are some things going on. Um, I wanted to talk about something that we haven't talked about for a good long while, and that is iBuyers. Um, we've talked about the iBuyers previously, and um, it is uh, becoming more and more of a thing when uh, people are looking to sell their home and they are considering uh, an iBuyer purchase of their property. And uh, we know that if you look at the, uh, I'm just going to use Zillow offers because they've been in the news a little bit, there is some fine print that you need to be aware of. And I'm actually on their Zillow offers site right now. I'm going to just um, enter a property address just to illustrate how this works. And I know you're not looking at what I'm doing, but I'm going to walk you through this very quickly. So um, it's telling me that Zillow Offers is not available for this particular property. However, if it did, it would say uh, that you could get a cash offer and uh, be on your merry way. Here's the catch. Here's the fine print that most of you glaze over. And it is this. It is the convenience fee, right? Think about that as the iBuyer commission that you will pay as a seller. And in uh, most cases, it could range from about 9 to 15%. That's more than what a full-service realtor will charge to list your house, which would typically be maybe 4 to 6% and they would handle all the details. So what are the advantages? If you're gonna pay maybe two to and a half times more than what you would normally pay, what are the advantages with going with an iBuyer? Well, there are a couple of advantages based on circumstances of a seller that could uh, be beneficial to you, depending on what your circumstances are. 
One is certainty, right? If you get an offer from one of the iBuyers, it's a done deal. They are going to pay the price they offer you and it's, 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 a, it's a lock. It, there's, so there's a level of certainty involved. There's no appraisals, there's no loan contingency, there's no inspections. It is what it is, here's what we're gonna pay you, here's the time frame. thank you very much. And by the way, it's gonna cost you 14%. <laughs> so you're gonna pay that above and beyond uh, for the sale of the house. Um, so if you need to be certain that your deal will close, there's a benefit. Another benefit is speed. Do you need to be out quick? Do you have some financial issues, other debt you need to pay off? And you're in a good position wherein that you have some equity in your property and you're ready to take that equity and run. Maybe you have a job transfer, another part of the country. You've been putting it off and putting it off and now you're ready to roll and you need to get out of here in the next 10 days. If that's the case, an iBuyer could be a good way for you to go because they can close quickly. So when you add in the speed and the certainty, those could be some compelling reasons, again, based on whatever your circumstances are. Now, a recent study, and I don't know how scientific this particular study was, it was done by a very well-known CEO and founder, uh, Glenn Sanford, who founded EXP Realty, um, did some research on this and uh, kind of released his findings on it. And what he came up with was that on average, on average, sellers who sell to an iBuyer pay 14.2% in convenience fees, 14.2%. So again, more than you would pay a top-notch full service agent in your marketplace. Now, what are the benefits of going with an agent? Um, in this market, speed can still be a factor because our low inventory levels and uh, pent up buyer demand and historically low interest rates have created a perfect storm where buyers are competing for properties and homes sell very quickly. In some cases, just hours after they hit the market. Um, and certainly within a matter of days, you will probably have multiple offers that will go well over list price. So you're gonna maximize your um, net proceeds when the deal closes. You can be pretty certain, right? Um, if one buyer backs out, there's a good chance you've got a backup offer in place that can slide in there. The one concern might be the appraisal, but with the kind of demand we're seeing, and if you can show the appraiser that, hey, we had multiple offers and it was on the market for two days, and this is what the offers were, this is what the value is, right? Because the value is what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? That's what value is. What is somebody willing to pay once it's been exposed to the market? And if you can show that multiple offers happened and it was over list price, then it, there's a good chance the appraiser is going to uh, is going to go forward with that, and, and the property will appraise. So in in this market, you still can have speed and certainty going with a top notch full service agent, and and you're going to pay a lot less. So sell for more. I mean, I may not have mentioned that with the i buyers. Typically, they're not going to pay fair market value. They're going to pay under. They need to leave a little meat on the bone so that when they resell it, they can make a little profit. Um, but you're going to be able to sell for more, probably just as quick, similar level of certainty, but paying less 
commission than you would in service fees, which means net net bottom line, what you end up with in your pocket when the deal closes, is going to be more. Who doesn't want more when it comes to tapping that equity in their biggest investment, probably their house. So something to think about there around iBuyers. If you'd like to ask questions or have a discussion around iBuyers, um, I did a lot of um, uh, work and research around iBuyers uh, eight, nine, 10 months ago. Have a little presentation I'd be happy to share with you. Go through some of that fine print so you can understand exactly uh, what you're getting into. If you in fact discover you don't need speed or certainty and you'd like to maximize your profit and your net proceeds, you need to work with a top-notch full service agent who can help you. And I'd love to discuss how we can make that happen uh, for you and your family. So reach out, you can give me a call. You can find my number here in the blog or shoot me an email, which is also available. Hit me up on any of my social platforms and um, I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. A um, couple other things going on in the real estate industry that I think are um, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, again, driven by the um, low inventory levels, the pent up buyer demand, and the multiple offers that we're seeing. One of the things that we're starting to see, and it's not uncommon in this type of market, whenever we get into a hot market like this, which is a, a strong seller's market um, in a competitive buyer's market, uh, we start to see things like escalation clauses uh, become more prominent. Uh, an escalation clause is simply a, uh, uh, some language written into the, into the purchase offer from the buyer stating that they're willing to pay X amount above your best offer. So you put your house on the market, the next day you have 10 offers, one or two or three of those offers might have an, ex an escalation clause, which again might say something to the effect of Mr. and Mrs. Smith are willing to pay $1,000 above your best verifiable offer, right? So you need to show that offer so that they know <laughs> that they're paying $1,000 more than 500,000, they're gonna pay 501. They're not gonna take your word for it. So you need, it needs to be a verifiable offer. But we're starting to see escalation clauses and they can be beneficial um, in at least helping buyers, you know, stay competitive and get in the game um, and make their offer stand out. Some other things that uh, as a buyer, you're going to want to do or have your agent do on your behalf. And again, this is um, what separates really good top-notch agents from everybody else is uh, how they negotiate your offer. So let's start at the beginning here. And one of the things that I see happen quite often, and by the way, I'm a broker. I have about 150 agents that work for me in California, all over the state. So we see things uh, in San Diego where I'm based, but I've got agents in Los Angeles and Orange County and the Bay Area and Sacramento and the Inland Empire and the desert region. So uh, everything's a, it's a little different, even though we're all in California, there are local customs that come into play in terms of how offers are written and who pays for what and stuff like that. But some things I see that agents drop the ball on is counseling their buyers so that they can find out what really motivates them. They also need to have a very open and honest discussion about pricing. And as a buyer, you do not want to come in lowballing right now. Any lowballing could just be 5,000 under list price. That's how competitive this market is. So you may want to consider that as a buyer. If you are looking at homes at the top end of your price range and you're finding you're continually getting outbid, maybe you look into a lower price range. Um, so that gives you a little cushion that you know you can come up on. 
Uh, now, it might be a more competitive price point, so you need to keep that in mind as well. But how does an agent really win the negotiations for their buyers? Well, it all starts with establishing and building a great relationship with the listing agent. Now, if you're working with an agent who's been around for a while, there's a very good chance that they already have a relationship or they know that agent. Maybe they've done business with them before. That's always a good thing. Relationships are critical. I talk about this all the time. Most of you as a consumer and even a lot of agents see real estate strictly as a transactional endeavor. And it's not. Real estate is a relational endeavor. Now, the transaction is part of the relationship, but it's only part of the relationship. And it's really based on those relationships. And really good buyer's agents work their ass off for their buyers, and they work really hard to establish great relationships with other agents. And sometimes uh, you'd be surprised that I could write an offer that's a little bit less price but they know based on our relationship and my reputation that the deal is going to close and the terms are better. And I'm going to talk about terms in just a minute and how that can really stand out. But it starts with really building and establishing a relationship or taking advantage or capitalizing on an existing relationship so that you can at least get your offer in the game. The second mistake I see buyer's agents make is that they don't have a detailed conversation with the listing agent about how to structure the best offer possible so that their offer can more easily be accepted. Now, I get on the other hand that sometimes listing agents are not as responsive as we might like them to be, but you gotta keep going for it. You gotta keep calling, you gotta keep reaching out. You got to represent your buyer at the best and highest level possible. What does that conversation sound like? Well, it sounds like, hey, Bob, it's Jason, how you doing? Uh, I showed your listing over on Main Street yesterday. They really love it. We are going to put an offer together. And I wanted to pick your brain really quick so I can structure the offer in such a way that hopefully it'll get accepted and we can work together. Um, does that sound good? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Outside of price, I understand price is price. What other terms are going to be important to your sellers? Um, how long of an escrow period would they like? Um, are they open to FHA or VA financing? Are they willing to pay uh, part of the closing costs like title and escrow? Are they willing to provide a termite report and section one clearance? Will they pay for a home warranty plan and a natural hazard disclosure, right? Now, again, based on local custom in your, in your area, um, agents know who typically pays for what. And in some cases, they're split between the buyer and seller. The cost of escrow, as an example, is typically split between the buyer and seller. Now, again, if I want to write a stronger offer, then maybe I counsel the buyer and say, look, are you willing to pay for some of this? It's going to cost you a little bit more on the front end, but it's going to make your offer stronger if you're willing to pay for some of the stuff that either you might split or the seller might typically pay for. Now, I want to back up, and there's something there I mentioned. I want you to pay attention to this. If you're a buyer, make sure you ask your agent about this. If you're an agent writing offers for buyers, make sure you understand this. 10-day close without having a conversation with the listing agent doesn't necessarily mean that's better for the seller, okay? You could write a 10-day cash closing and think you've written a strong offer, but in reality, you don't know what the circumstances are on the seller side. Maybe they need 45 days. Maybe they've got some circumstances going on where they need more time, and now you come in with the 10-day close, they feel like you're pushing them or that you're bullying them in a way. So have that conversation with the listing agent. And again, if you're a buyer, make sure your agent has this conversation. How long of a closing period do you 
do you want? What's going to work? Would they be open to 10 or 15 days or do they need 30 to 45 days? By the way, every month for the last several months, when we look at the um, average time to close a loan, it's been over 45 days. So most lenders are backlogged because of the low interest rates, lots of refinances happening, their bandwidth and people power is not what it might normally be. And so you write in 30 day close and the lender says, look, I can't do it for at least 45 days. Now you've got yourself backed up against the wall. Now, when you get to about day 25, 26, you're going to be asking for an extension of time to give yourself enough time to get that loan. Well, that makes people's ner people nervous, especially sellers. Hey, you said we could close in 30 days. Why should I extend? I got six other offers. Two of them are higher than yours. I'll just go on to the next guy. If I got to wait, I'm going to might as well wait and get more money. So give yourself enough time to get that deal closed and explain that to the listing agent. Listen, I know it's taking 40, 45 days for lenders to get their stuff done. I'm gonna go ahead and write in 45 days or sooner. So if we can close in 30 days, awesome, we'll do that. But if we need that extra time, we don't need to sweat it by asking for an extension and making people nervous. So again, it all comes down to having that conversation on the front end with your buyer to set expectations, number one, and then having a good robust discussion with the other agent on the listing side to understand what are the best terms. How can I write the best offer possible so that the seller can just accept it or at least get a counter offer and be in the game, right? So just a couple of tips there that uh, we see happening. Uh, whether that's the um, uh, escalation clause or, again, just making sure you're having those good conversations about uh, how to write the best possible offer and negotiate stronger for your buyer clients. So uh, a couple of tips there. Um, there's a couple other things going on. There's been a lot of uh, consolidation happening. And uh, what that basically means is we're seeing uh, bigger companies buy other companies, especially in the tech space. Um, Zillow just bought a company called Showing Time, uh, which is a service that a lot of MLSs use so that listing agents uh, can allow buyer's agents to schedule showings uh, on their listings uh, through the Showing Time uh, interface. Um, we'll see probably more consolidation happening um, around some of the add-on services, not that it might be important to you as a consumer or a, uh, a regular Joe or Jane out there. Uh, but these are things that happen behind the scene in real estate that can impact how you get into properties, how easy it is for your agent to set those appointments and streamline the process. Um, this is over and above all the COVID stuff, right? We've got the um, what we call the PEAD form or the PEAD form, which is the public entry and access disclosure, which just basically states that, hey, due to COVID, you know that you're entering this property um, of your own free will and that you accept all the risks associated with that. Um, so we've got all these additional disclosures and things happening now, uh, but a lot of consolidation happening on the back end is, and we'll probably continue to see uh, more and more of that uh, take uh, place. Um, the other interesting thing has been um, interest rates. I think uh, going back to last year, um, most experts, quote, end quote, have, um, have, have assumed or, or stated that they don't see a huge uh, issue in terms of rates going up. Uh, but we did see a little activity in the bond market last week, which caused rates to go up a little bit. And uh, that might be the case as we move forward and get out of the pandemic era and back to some more normal activities. 
Um, and, uh, and so we'll pay attention to that. I will say this, um, if you're thinking about refinancing or buying and the interest rate is three point anything, <laughs> don't sweat it. You're, you're, you know, if it's three point something, if you see a three or lower, you're, you're, you're doing pretty darn good historically. And, and, uh, you should probably take advantage of it. Now I could also share with you guys, if you're interested, you can let me know. Um, I've got some charts on the cost of waiting. So let me talk about that really quick. And what does the cost of waiting really mean? Well, if you're waiting to see what happens with pricing or interest rates, I wouldn't hold your breath because you might not be uh, above ground much longer. Uh, if rates go up a little bit more, prices are definitely continuing to go up, driven simply by supply and demand and lack of inventory. Um, our average price, our median price is at all-time highs. And, and so if you wait, your interest rate, will be higher, which means your monthly mortgage payment will probably be higher. And the double-edged sword is that prices are still going up. So you're gonna pay a higher interest rate and a higher price to get the home. So waiting a little while longer to buy or make an offer could actually end up costing you more money. Now, the other factor here is we may hopefully see more inventory come onto the market as we move into the you know, quote, spring selling season, end quote. Um, but we didn't see that last year. We didn't see a huge influx of listings last spring and summer. We actually saw it a little bit later in the summer in early fall. Um, will that pattern repeat this year? We don't know. Um, we do know that people are really considering where they want to live uh, because if they're not working in an office environment anymore, maybe they're working from home, uh, even on a uh, split time basis, so they don't have to go into the office as much. Um, where they live isn't as important. They can live further away if they're working from home and not have to commute. So they can afford that maybe bigger home with a larger lot out in the in in, in the rural or suburban areas of their uh, of their region. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. People moving away from the urban uh, metros and in, into more suburban and even rural areas and it makes sense right they want to have a little more elbow room they've been cooped up uh, a little more space to move around for the kids for the pets and uh and so something to uh to consider if you find yourself in that situation okay and as always again you can reach out phone text email hit my website realbrokerca.com uh, for property searches for the latest market news and trends and research and um, I'd love to chat with you more. And again, no matter where you are in California, I have an agent that can help you, that can answer your questions. Uh, just reach out, let me know. I'd be happy to connect you. And uh, in the meantime, stay safe, be well. And as always, I appreciate you tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your week.